Hey, Kyle. So I heard there's a big conference going on this week, right? That's right. Prodicon, the world's largest product management conference, is happening in San Francisco Thursday, November 16th. Wow, cool. And you're going, right? I am. I'll be speaking on a panel at 11 a.m. alongside Jason Gatta from Optimizely and Debbie Brainy from Glassbox on the topic of navigating digital transformation. It should be a really great discussion. Sounds like it. Well, if you're at Prodicon this week, make sure to catch Kyle's session and stop by our booth, 17. That's booth 17. That's where Zara's going to be at. We'll have product and podcast swag. We will be playing Ship It or Skip It live with the folks at the booth. And you can learn more about Zora, the company that helps product managers launch and optimize pricing for their innovative services by automating billing for any combination of one-time, subscription, and consumption-based products and services. See you at ProductCon Thursday, November 16th. Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager, the nitty-gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Product at Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Thomas Fenrick, VP of Product Management at IKEA. And we're going to start off the show by getting to know Thomas a little bit better through a little rapid-fire game of ship it or skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No. Maybe. Yes. That's right. That's right. This is a kind of an icebreaker, Thomas, to get to know you a little bit better. We're going to throw some product ideas at you. So you either say, yes, the good idea, ship it, or ah, get rid of it, and then skip it down the road. So a couple rapid fire. Are you ready, Thomas? I am. Bring it on. Okay. The first one, from your background with IKEA and a bunch of, you know, dealing with the, the type of furniture that's in there and customers always always want to know what it looks like in their house. Would yeah. you ship it or skip it, the Apple Vision Pro and augmented reality for furniture shopping? Totally ship it. Okay. For the right customers, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good way for them to kind of see where things would fit in their rooms. And, you know, being in, in New York, it's always hard to know when, what furniture fits in right. And then if you build it out and it doesn't fit, you kind of stuck with it. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's the first. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Also kind of leaning into that in that space of, of design. How about a kitchen designed solely by AI? Don't we already do that? <laughs> All <laughs> right, sure there you go. Very, very good. Ship, ship it, ship it, ship it. Okay. All right, looking back at your experience with the, the weather company, a satellite-controlled weather system. Uh, depends on what aspects are controlled there. Who controls but, yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good idea, but the power is too great, maybe depending on who actually has the power for it, but the idea is a good idea. The last yep. one we'll do, what about your thoughts on space tourism? Skip it. Skip it. Uh, the world's not ready, or the universe is not ready. Yeah. Not an experience right. for me, and, and I think that's something that you want to have a much higher degree of you know, comfort and, and safety in that. Yeah, makes sense. Makes so sense. All right, we're, so we we're got not three. quite there, do you say? Okay. Yeah, not there yet. So we got three. Ship it, one. Skip it. All right, sounds good. So Thomas, so let's now dig into your your day to day work and really get into the details. Power. Power enough. Power move. 
So what's currently happening for you in the world of, of PMs, yourself at large and company? Maybe if you could just give us a little context first and then let's dive in. Yeah, I think, you know, what everybody's grappling with right now is figuring out what role AI plays, right, in your product space, regardless of what it is, right? It's been on the verge for a long time and obviously building. But, you know, as with many things that we're, where we're hitting sort of the inflection point, the pace is really accelerating. And so combining all of these things together all those capabilities and thinking about where you really place your strategic bets, balancing an, an exploration approach and, and figure really out what do you need to actually play around with to learn? What are some real product opportunities that, that contribute to the business and, and has longer term strategic opportunity there to really move things? What are sort of the, the hygiene factors? Right? A lot of us are using machine learning and AI capabilities in a lot of very relatively pedestrian ways, but now opening up more and more opportunities to really bring it forward to into the customer journey, right? And so you got to develop a really deliberate portfolio approach, I think, in applying your bets there and figuring out what you're what you're after, and then. Also, when you look at where we're at right now at this point, right, everything or many things are still very command line driven. <laughs> and so you feel like a lot of these things, uh, you know, will converge and much more organically integrate and come back as really an underpinning of fundamental product capabilities. And, and so dealing with that as a product organization where everybody wants to experiment and learn and play around with the latest, greatest thing. And then keeping in mind, what does it actually do for the business? What does it do for customers? What are some, some things that we actually need to learn and experiment with and, and how do we best do that? First of all, it, it sounds like you're, you're, you're now at a point where the exuberance of AI, of it being everywhere, in everything all at once, right? It doesn't feel like the right call because you're exploring the stuff. This is where you're bringing up the portfolio approach and where you put your bets, right? So it's not that it's great everywhere. It, there are probably certain places where it is exactly the spot on technology to put in and you can get the most business value out of it for the, for the investments, right? The other part you were saying is, while at the same time arming your teams to learn about this stuff so that they can understand where the value is coming from. So it sounds like your team's been working on it. Sounds like you've you've already have some some lessons there. Are there some early promises where you feel like, you know, there's some real great things that AI can help with? Yeah, I think that that's pretty much in line with a lot of other companies, right? You use machine learning for a lot of insight generation and areas where you actually move into sort of process automation based on machine learning, right? As as an earlier step. And then you move forward a bit on the maturity curve where you expose things to coworkers to help become more efficient and help maybe drive recommendations, but then also for customers and bring it into the customer journey. And this is really where the new opportunities are, where now you can really drive some new capabilities to better inform or engage, right? In our case, 
when you think about e-commerce, it's, it's really more about informing and engaging, or at least I see that potential, and then helping, you know, a lot of companies already do, right, in the e-commerce space, do a lot, a lot of personalized recommendations and all that. And that's really just the foundational approach. But now when you get into actually inspiring and providing opportunities to further explore, you know, how your needs can be met, that's where it becomes, then from a customer perspective, more interesting. And on the other side, right, for us, in like in fulfillment and supply chain, it's really driving from a process perspective and then into literally the co-worker space where there we would, we would really want to be able to drive better capabilities for co-workers to actually help our customers and be more effective at executing their roles. We've seen that that journey too. We start off kind of with that journey with machine learning. You know, we have a retry capabilities for for payments, and then it kind of evolved into you know more of well, what else can we expose to the you know to the, the personas in the business? And then it was always, I think, the the challenge we saw too was that the north star, what you wanted to focus on, because a lot of times it'd be oh, just put AI in there just because it's a it, it, it you know just checks a box, but if you gravitate back to the the customer journey and how it improves the customer experience, you always kind of have that better north star. And you also have we we also found that having clear metrics also helped kind of really drive it out too. You really, I mean, metrics need everything, but with this, if you apply a metric for it, and, I, and I'm assuming maybe this is similar to you with the commerce experience, like that car conversion, where you can start seeing car conversion, you know, growing higher because of you know AI is providing the right engagement or the right you know customer support and so you can really then see the value in that customer journey more prescribed because you have then more of a you know following the customer and having a metric to measure it to see if there's an actual impact to the business is that kind of what you're what you're seeing as well yeah that's that's the way i think about it as well it's it's really right depending on where you are in your adoption curve and, and maturity stage right? and talked about this portfolio approach and and deliberately figuring out where you actually experiment, like for example, in the customer experience, right? You got to make sure that you also pick the right metrics and, and you know, don't set the North Star too high initially, right? Because mm-hmm. you'll get small signals that become stronger and stronger and stronger to build some confidence and also obviously, right? It's, it's training models that need to be developed for it as well. Are there some fun things that customers can look forward to given AI in terms of their experience with IKEA? Are there any things that you can maybe tell us about that you're already thinking about or that have been successful based on your attempts? Yeah, I I mean, we're still thinking about where we're we're really deploying in in the customer customer experience, right? Like the things that that we've been successful with with our creative development, Right, which is more of an AR play, but this is where the models get generated. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's tons of ideas that we're generating internally for you know how could we actually help in basic things such as product search, in actually you know in actually generating content, for example, right? Whether it's visual yep. or product information, and I'm sure there's many other retailers that think in that that direction as well, right? When you look at when you look at the competitive set, right, distilling down sort of from product reviews the key insights 
I think that there are very similar patterns. And why are they so similar across that industry segment? Well, because the customer needs are very similar, right? So I think that's where it becomes relatively obvious on, on what the opportunities are. This is probably where a lot of people are wondering too, is when will you get an AI robot to build the furniture for you? <laughs> you know, when funny you- thing, there, there's actually experiments with that. Oh. And, and we're also making it, and when you look at really where IKEA has made its its name as an innovative company is really in the furniture world, right? In the materials, in the packaging, in the distribution model and all that. And now even with the assembly, right? Things get easier and easier and more customer friendly. And that challenging moment of figuring out how you and your domestic partner, you know, collaborate on the building of furniture mm-hmm. <laughs> will become less and less of a measuring stick. Oh, nice. Interesting. So maybe there'll be self-assembly of furniture. You just <laughs> bring it to the house and it will build itself. You know, there's a, an amazing, yeah, exactly. Right. But it, there's an amazing experience there as much as there's pros and cons. I mean, I've had amazing experiences with my kids assembling IKEA furniture together, obviously having it uh, become simpler and that joy of actually putting something together and, and it being functional is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll continue to have that as an option going forward for those of us who enjoy that sort of stuff. Fascinating stuff. Future holds amazing things in store for us. And speaking of launching new products, are there any tips or tricks or things that you, you found that, that really made or broke a product launch for you? Well, you know, when I think about these kind of things, I always want to go back to the very beginning, first principles, right? Who are we building for? Why are we building it? And what does that entail? Right? Hmm. And, and oftentimes, right, well, there's, there's a whole number of things that can go wrong from picking the wrong customer, customer segment for your your first initial product launch, right? To not not well enough identifying the needs and and figuring out, right, in, in what context does someone actually need a product, right? And it doesn't matter whether you're in e-commerce or more of a back-end function or maybe you have an application that that you're developing, right? The first pitfall from my perspective oftentimes mm-hmm is that then in terms of the actual go-to-market and figuring out how you actually deploy because you haven't figured out who the right customer in the right context is, right? Things then just, well, it's out there. Does it get used, right? Maybe not to the extent that you that you actually wanted to, right? It goes back to picking the right metrics and understanding what motivates a particular customer segment in the moment, right, when they engage with their product. Quickly, I'm thinking about, you know, right tool for the right job, but now you're also saying for the right people, yeah. right? Product teams, right, have an MVP understanding that is really, that focuses on the minimal instead of the viability, right? And the viability varies with context, with who your customer is, what the alternatives are, when uh-huh. your customer is, where in the process, right? And different things have different levels of needs, right? So if if I'm if I'm a Mercedes driver, right, and I'm looking for a new vehicle, a better vehicle experience that I that I want to provide, right? The level that I have to get to in that competitive vehicle is very different 
then when I'm yeah, if you're buying a scooter, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe you're saying should be viable minimum product rather than a minimum viable product, mm-hmm. right? The yeah, emphasis mean, on what's important. And what's your philosophy on like, uh, I guess, failing fast? So like, you know, if you get those questions wrong or maybe it's a little tweak to it, like, what's your philosophy on you know course correction or pivoting and and you know getting things back on track? Better failing fast than than failing. Mm-hmm. Right? And and <laughs> and digging yourself deeper into a hole, or or you know, oftentimes you're not in a hole, mm. you're just not finding the right traction, right? And so you continue to pour resources into it more and more, and so the incrementality of what you're actually de- delivering, releasing, and again that focus on who for and how do I see that it's actually successful. Right? What is the early indicator and, and what can I build on top of that? Because there is one hypothesis. Okay, we see a signal, initially maybe a relatively weak signal. And then, all right, let's build, continue to build on that. And, and at some point, right, you, you hope that you're seeing an actual larger uh, step function in impact. Yeah, we, we, we see that too. There's- Sometimes if, if you, you get that initial signal, what you think the market would be like, I mean, you can do a lot of the data analysis and the, you know, the TAM analysis and the SAM analysis and, and all those kind of market uh, feeling until you actually get the product out in customers' hands. You get, get a feel of like, is this landing? Is this actually accepting? And then what we've noted with what we've been working with too is that, you know, the, the MVP is a kind of a that gray area. You got to make sure you have enough, you know, the, the right enough functionality for the MVP to land but be able to iterate off of it. So if we made a mistake, we can pull back, try again, you know, relaunch it, or, re, or not even relaunch, relaunch a piece of it, and then get that whole kind of motion in play. Because then, then you, once you get that success, you get more customers, get more reputable customers, they start talking about it more, you can you use them to kind of build up the, the groundswell for it. But yeah. I think that's right. I, mean, I think making sure you have those fundamentals right, but then being able to pivot quickly uh, allows you to be flexible. Yeah. And, and, you know, oftentimes that's also a question of, you know, a lot of us do AB multivariate testing. Mm. Can you actually isolate a signal well enough to inform what you want to do in this? Right. And the larger of a product or product line you have and the more teams you have, right, there's continuous deployments of multiple different, multiple different things going on, right? Like, Think about a site like ours, an e-commerce site, right? Tons of different capabilities being deployed and going out in parallel, right? And everything affects everything else. And sometimes these things are individual teams are not even aware of other things happening at the same time. And, and that makes it a little complicated in terms of actually teasing out the right signal. But are you talking about signal from customers in terms of, you know, adoption and interest? Or are you thinking about also, you know, just risk mitigation in terms of the product launch because you have so many dependencies and, you know, certain teams might be making certain assumptions or might be thinking something's harder than it needs to be? You know, is there also that that sort of inside facing aspect to to the product launch to to watch out for, right, for for risks in terms of capabilities to deliver? Yeah, there certainly is, right? And, and, you know, the larger of a company you are and the more interwoven all your capabilities are, right? Everything affects everything else. Yep. Right. And, and so if I, you know, if I focus on a lot on the top of the funnel, maybe I depress the lower end of the funnel a bit. And 
you know, that balance when you're not aware of things that are happening in other areas, right, can then lead to the muddled signals on the customer adoption side, right? So these things are mm. potentially connected depending on how complex your team setup and organization is and then how much right, these actually connect. Well, maybe that's a great place to kind of, now that we've talked about the bigger launch stuff, what are some of the sort of maybe surprising or unexpected things that you have to kind of deal with on a day-to-day -day basis as a PM, right, on, on things like that? When I think back on my PM career, in the beginning, it's all about learning and honing the craft and learning frameworks and prioritization methods and the technology and everything else, right? But I think what continuously surprises me is the amount of communication that is required really in aligning and understanding stakeholders, customers, internally, different teams, and the role that the PM plays in this, right? Mm -hmm. And the PM organization plays in this. It's really the primary, more and more, the primary function in validating ideas, thinking about, well, is this working? Is this not working? What's the next step? And driving that conversation and then making sure that you can actually communicate with impact, right? And have the right content yeah. to talk about. The larger the organization, the more complexly structured it is, the higher the overhead it is, right? And it has to be more and more of a deliberate effort and somewhat of a framework approach to getting that right. And, and that is continual refinement and deliberate thinking through how that actually works. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I had a, a role model early on in my PM career, and it starts with the very basic things. Every time there was customer issue or a use case, the email communication was always over communicate, provide the full context so that anybody that's dropping in on the email early or have has come to the email six months later because of prioritization has like the full context of the stuff. And I was always impressed that the email was, you know, clear, succinct, but provided the full, full context so that nobody would be like, I don't even know what's going on here. Right. It was very, very, very clear. And that was a deliberate effort on that person's side to make that happen and, and really, really helped. And one thing we, we've noticed too is, is, as you said, communication matters, but it's also the, the words you use matter. I mean, we've, we've, me and Lucas always struggle with this. We'll come up with a concept or maybe a naming of a product or how we want to describe the product and having to rehash it over and over again because the words didn't quite gel mm -hmm. with the audience or didn't quite capture what we really wanted to get you know, a feeling for what the product will do. So the honing of the word, the wordsmithing of the words you use can be very critical when you get that alignment. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's also, I think that's a great point, Kyle. It's, it's actually something that you got to test out just like a product, right? You got to test out just like a product, you know, bounce off your stakeholders, customers, and see what resonates actually. Mm -hmm. Not just does it resonate, but what part of it resonates and, and what, what's the interpretation behind it? 
Okay, let me switch gears just slightly now to really the the tactical operational stuff. So obviously, you know, your team is working on building all the great things that you're testing out, that you're designing, that you're launching, et cetera. Are there, you know, particular tips or tricks or, or things that you found that you're using with your teams or that you have come up with, broadly speaking, together to really up your game and and be able to focus, you know, on these things appropriately with the right balance? It's always a challenging question because it, it very much also depends on how much legacy you're dealing with. Yep. And, and oftentimes in legacy systems, right, there are legacy ways of testing. But what I found actually is that more and more, so to the extent that you can certainly make deployments, releases, increments small, right, and go after some due diligence without a QA staging environment, hopefully even, because you never get those right anyway. There's always something that's out of sync. The data is out of sync, or it's not real production data. And the larger you are, right, that it becomes cost prohibitive and, and slows things down. So to the extent that you can empower teams to actually you know, have very small incremental ongoing releases, right? It's the standard continuous integration, continuous deployment. Yeah. Yep model, but really driving through scenarios that allow allow the team to quickly deploy something, maybe feature flag something for a smaller segment, and then and then learn from that. Right? Those are things where it becomes really much easier to identify and isolate some issues early on and respond to them quickly before it's actually, you know, this whole rat tail of, of dependency effects and everything else. And I think all of us have learned that once you go out into production, things change anyway, right? The data is not what you expected. The other aspect is, and that, that's true certainly for, for us, right? And especially when you're dealing with larger operational systems, right? Whether it's on, on supply chain or fulfillment areas, right? There's lots of human and manual processes involved. So that's where AI hasn't, hasn't quite really replaced and won't fully replace our coworkers. But there, it's really important, again, that together with the technology, you also chunk the process parts that you're impacting separately. Mm. And so you, you try one thing after another and build together the whole process. Like we've had learnings where we've super optimized a couple of steps in like the fulfillment process and overwhelm the downstream processes in store. So I'm like, mm, good learning. Got so it. we got to chunk it out, right? And then figure out what the coworker or, or operational journey steps are that need to change in conjunction. And is there a parallel process, for example, right? That you can maybe even handle parts manually so that you learn and scale or things that you have an alternative execution path. Is that like more okay. like a fallback? Like if, if things do with the, you roll out and there's a, an issue, at least they have a, a, a pressure release. They can, they can go and handle it manually until the fix comes in. Is that, yeah. is that how that would? Yeah. A that. And then the other part is also, and that's a, this, anytime you, you develop something new, and need to learn about scaling. Sometimes you start actually with a manual process 
in figuring out how much can I automate from a systems perspective and then what are the manual parts that then come into play and hopefully you've modeled actually <laughs> what that means from a scale perspective, right? So that you, you know that it's highly unlikely that a single human being can handle a thousand orders per day. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good point, right? Because we talk about horizontally scaling our, our technology, right? You're saying humans don't horizontally scale that elastically. <laughs> so oh, they, they can't with enough coffee, time. but you can only do it for a short time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Eventually, eventually they stop working. Excellent. Really great, great insights, both at the high level from a portfolio perspective, all the way down to, to tactical and, and actually getting that balance between innovation and, and maintenance correct. Now to, to kind of, you know, crazy stories about truly product manager power moves, you know, is there a time in your history as a, a product manager where you felt like you really needed to take your game to, to 11, so to speak? Well, I think, you know, one of my biggest learnings in that direction was my, my first real gig in Silicon Valley when I, when I joined eBay during its heyday growth period. And eBay was in the process of not only very rapidly trying to expand into international markets from its base of three English language markets it had in UK, Canada, and the US, of course, to then right, becoming the global powerhouse that I wanted to be in, in that space. All the while growing significantly organizationally and then of finding out very quickly that a lot of Perl code doesn't scale very well uh, and having to basically rebuild the engine and flight. And so that's also where where I sort of first got my exposure to product management. I was still in an engineering role. And so not so fondly recall the days when we actually had to spend significant time at night and sleeping cots in the office to keep eBay alive while there were CNN trucks parked outside. But so aside from right, that not scaling, but one thing that I really learned in this is the pulling together on the focus and really the deliberate art of knowing what you do and what you don't do and, and yeah. making choices, right? So you yeah. can't move everything, but really deliberately pulling in. So uh, to your point, Kyle, about you know what scales for a while from a manual perspective, right? As long as everybody's really clear on what we're trying to do, some of those sacrifices can actually work, but they need to be very pointed. And then, you know, you can't peanut butter it and, and spread it to things. Yeah. And short term, right? Yeah. 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 Actually, our, our CEO has frequently said, you know, that running a company like this and, and building a product, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. And so you, you just have to pace yourself and, and prepare for that. Right. So you can't just burn out on the first escalation feature release, whatever it is, right? You you have to kind of manage your resources and, and make sure that you can recover and, and have it sustainable because it's just, it's, it's a long, long path, not not a short sprint and done. So, so why do our engineers call it building sprints? You know, we have sprints for our development. <laughs> because they get a sprint of vacation afterwards, right? Isn't that how it works? No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> that's actually something that Maynard Webb at the time said to me as well, right? Hey, we're, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon as we're yeah. building this company and everything, to which I flippantly replied, but why are we running it in sprints? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Wait a minute, right? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Very good. Thomas, any sort of final thoughts in, in terms of, you know, anything we've talked about or, or things that we maybe haven't talk, talked about, but that are in top of your mind and feel are relevant to our, to our audience? Well, you know, one, one thing in addition to the things that I mentioned earlier about innovation and, and sort of having this portfolio approach, Recently, also been reflecting a lot about having this portfolio approach about just product skills, right? And mm. frameworks and mental models and decision making criteria. Because oftentimes, one thing that I've seen is that, you know, people learn a certain prioritization method, rice, whatever, right? And stick to it very mm. closely and don't adapt to the context. Got and, it. you know, every product is different in its maturity and what you're trying to do. And sometimes the, the decision-making criteria, for example, as a product manager doing your basic prioritization has to be different. And so if you have a deliberate approach about looking at it as a portfolio, even if you're just managing a single product, there's this portfolio of features that you're responsible for, some of which mm-hmm. might be nascent, experimental, some of it are mature. Having that understanding and varying your decision-making based on that context, I think, is, is one thing that a lot of product managers need to become really familiar with. Excellent insight. Kyle, any, any questions or final thoughts from, from your side? No, I think this is great, Thomas. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, really appreciate Thanks. chatting with you. Great insights. Yeah. Great conversation. Thank you all. I think my kind of big takeaways was when we talked about AI, you know, it's, it, he's right. You can kind of get lost in the shuffle and it's always good to have something to ground it. And I think he grounds it on, you know, how it will help with the business, how it help with the customer, kind of gives him that focus. I like the, when he thinks about launching a product, the, he, the, he always goes back to the fundamentals, like, you know, who are we building it for? Why are we building it? You know, what does it entail? And that kind of also kind of grounds the the teams to focus on that. And then the the big thing he said about you know the big role of a PM is communication, communicate mm-hmm. with impact. And so you know we talk about that all the time. And, you know, we, you know, we were talking about the wordsmithing and how do we get the right words to the right message. But that's so critical to talk about your product and how you want to you know, bring it to market and get the field excited, get the customers excited about it. And that communication is very key. Now, what did you would you would you take away? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you just called out uh, are definitely the big things. From my side, I'm really excited about the new technologies coming out, right? So I, I could sense from Thomas that that he's kind of communicating the excitement that his teams have about AI. I'm pretty sure all the engineers want to, you know, just work with AI, right? And so it, it, it's clear that he's kind of helping that to channel that excitement and energy into that portfolio approach with the proper bats, right? So that he can actually get the proper business results while at the same time getting folks to to learn and and really come up to speed with the, the latest and greatest, right? Again, be it AI or AR. And I'm certainly as an end consumer eagerly looking forward to what IKEA is going to launch in, in those departments. But it's also 
interesting that he's taking a kind of incremental approach where he's looking at things internally for processes, coworkers, right? Making sure that that all works and then considering consumers. So you're not testing the new technologies on consumers, you're testing them internally first to make sure they work. So those are kind of key things that, that I picked up on the technology side, absolutely on the communication. That's very relevant to me. Working titles, you know, yeah. things that aren't, anytime you pick a name, it tends to stick. <laughs> so yeah. Either pick a good sure. one or, or pick one that clearly doesn't make sense. So it's a working title because as, as you know, we struggle with some names that are just so hard to beat down once they're established. And then the last part is just that incremental release that's small and fast, particularly the fast aspect of it, so that it's really easy to experiment with things and, you know, put things in, put things out and, and mi minimal effort, but large impact to test things out. It's something that we've used internally here to, to great effect, particularly when launching a brand new product like we've recently done. The team is, is able to, to move very, very quickly. We're responding to customers and, and things that we find ourselves as we use the product that are just, you know, tremendous uptake and excitement that that builds because you're you're constantly heading in the right direction given the signals. And again, a gr great conversation. Yeah. Enjoyed it quite a lot. And I look forward to the, the AI robot building my furniture or it automatically building for me. So I'm looking that's forward true, to that. That's true. My kids are growing up, so they're not going to be helping me too, uh, <laughs> too, too much. Agree. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on, on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. Thanks for joining.